Thank you for downloading the sermon podcast of Calvary Chapel of Mercer County. Enjoy the message. All right, tonight we are looking at Genesis chapter 35. Genesis 35, so please go ahead and make your way there. There, I should say. Let's see if my notes will ever come up. (laughs) This chapter 35 is where we are. Uh, I'm going to read up to verse 15. How's that, Tim? All right. Now it says, God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there, and make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and all to, and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you, and purify yourselves, and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel, so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress, and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had, and the rings that were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. <clears throat> and as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them, so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel, because there God had revealed himself to him when he had fled from his brother. And Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried under an oak below Bethel. So he called its name Alan Bakuth, or something like that. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padan Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. And he poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him Bethel. Well, all right, kind of good. Uh, context, previous chapter, anybody remember? Not good. Not good, no. The previous chapter involved his daughter Dinah, you may recall, yeah, and the unfortunate incident um, at uh, Shechem. Uh, you may also recall the response of Dinah's brothers, uh, Simeon and Levi. Pretty uh, dramatic pretty dramatic. They went and killed everybody, uh, all the men uh, of the city. And you may recall Jacob responded uh, in this way, chapter 34, verse 30. He said, you have brought trouble on me by making me stink to the inhabitants of the land. My number, and then uh, skip a little, my numbers are few. And if they gather themselves against me and attack me, I shall be destroyed. And so he figured that the surrounding nations were going to get wind of what happened and either say, look, we can either wait till they attack us and they're stronger than us, or we can go get them now, or they're going to retaliate for the loss of their friends, whatever it may be. Um, but he's like, now we got a target on our backs and we're in trouble. And so uh, as we move into chapter 35, 
that's basically the next scenario. They they pick up and they leave there. Now we don't know. Was it a week between uh, the one event to the other? Was it the next day? Um, was it a year later? Probably not. It seems like it happened relatively fast because he was fearful that they were going to be attacked. Uh, but that being said, soon enough they move on and they go from Shechem uh, down to Beth Bethel, as we read, or Bethel, as we read. Interesting. There's no mention of the name uh, God in chapter 34 at all. Uh, and yet, you know, we just read half the chapter, um, and there's going to be over 20 references to God, or Bethel means the house of God, or things like that. So it's interesting. It seems like there's sort of a change here um, that is taking place. Certainly, we're going to see there's a change in uh, Jacob that takes place in more ways uh, than one. So that's kind of the context of where we are. Any thoughts before we dig in? And just one more thing is he didn't, this is the completion of the vow that he made when he left. That's right, which we're going to talk about. Okay. So thank you. He went right to there. I hear you. And then he wouldn't have gone into that whole mess. I'm with you. All right, verse 1. God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled uh, from your brother Esau. You know, as Chris points out, the incident of Shechem is so sad in so many different ways, and it really never had to happen. Um, As we looked at last week, he made this oath uh, 20-some years earlier that if he ever made it back to this land, if God would have preserved him as he said he was going to do and so on, that... He would uh, build an altar there in Bethel, uh, seemingly returning to the place of Bethel, uh, and yet he doesn't do that. Um, Also notice these words. This is from chapter 31. Uh, This is when God told him to to leave Paddan Aram, which is where um, he worked for Laban and married his daughters and so on. In chapter 31, 13, it says, I'm the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land, of your kindred, um, seemingly saying, come back to Bethel. Um, doesn't specifically say that. Um, it, it does say, come back to the promised land. Um, but it just seems to be implying that he says, look, go back to the place where I met you uh, in that dream, um, where I changed your name previously, where you made an oath that you would return to me and build a house to me. Go back there. But instead, he chooses Shechem. Now, what was it about Shechem? That caused him to stop there. Doesn't really say. She can't be wrong. Sorry, you really shouldn't even look it up because it doesn't say. <laughs> but what do you think it was well, about the Shechem? Land, the land was probably good land for all the. Yeah. Okay, now it does say that. All right, so that's good. Maybe uh, that appealed to him. Pleasing to the eye. We talked about. I think it was you, uh, Paul, that mentioned it was similar to Lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You said it was a commerce center? Yes. So maybe financially it would be good. Perhaps more convenient. You recall that Shechem is right after he lied to his brother Esau. I'll be right after you. You just get started, blaze the trail, and I'll be following right after. And then he goes a different direction. Perhaps uh, had he not lied to his brother and had gone in that particular direction toward Bethel, certainly, um, Shechem wouldn't have been appealing to his eye. Um, you know, all those possible thoughts. All right. Um, so he ends up there, and then now he has this mess. His family are wanted people. His daughter is dealing with the pain and the hurt of uh, her attack and so on and so forth. Um, so 
Uh, notice it says in 35.1, it says, Arise, go up to Bethel. That seems to imply to me that he was sleeping, or not sleeping, but wrestling through the evening. Um, and so God says for him uh, to get up and to go to Bethel. Now the word there, it says, and dwell there. And that, that's a word which means to make your abode there. Uh, and so God's telling him, it's time for you to go there. Um, notice also in verse 1, that he reminds him of the oath that he had previously made by, by saying, and make an altar there to the God who appeared to you. That's what um, he said he would do if uh, he ever made it back there. So God is reminding him of that oath. And we talked a little bit last time together about oaths, and are we obligated to keep oaths? Should we make oaths and all that sort of stuff? And here God is saying about that oath, yeah, <laughs> you need to keep that oath. Um, and so he says, Build, make that altar there. Um, also, I, I like how the Lord reminds Jacob to return to the place where his relationship with him began uh, by saying, remember that place where I appeared to you that first time? You need to go back to that particular place. And, and so I think there's a lesson in that for us. Uh, what do you think that lesson is? Backsliding. Okay, yeah. What's that? When you, you know, go from one, when you're with the Lord and you're going, you know, maturity and then you drop down and go back to what you used to be doing and you know then he got convicted and you know mm-hmm. trying to put stuff away and let's go okay so what's the lesson um to go back to the lord you know he had gone away by going to shechem and then he wants him to go to the original plan that yeah. he told him to yeah go back to that place where it all started mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, so yeah back to the cross yeah. Yeah, there's uh there's a hippie song from the... You would know it, Baron. Um, <laughs> hey, from, turn me on, man. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was in the Jesus movement, and it was... I think it was called Welcome Back or something. Not Welcome Back, Connor. <laughs> 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 um, no, but it's... Uh, it, and I'm not going to sing it, but it's like... And I'll, I'll try to sing a little. It's like, Welcome Back... Like that, because, you know, they're hippies. To the place you always knew, welcome back to the place uh, you've always wanted to be, or something like that. You know, and it's that idea of returning back to that place where God had done that work, which is what the Lord tells us to do. So, Jim, you brought up this idea of going back to the cross. And when we backslide, well, let's hope we don't, but when we fall, let's use that phrase. I think there's maybe a slight difference. There is a difference between like backsliding where you're just continually in falling uh, um, continually fall, fall in and when you know you stumble and you fall but either way when we fall on our walk with the Lord sometimes our response is well you know what I'm going to work a little harder mm-hmm. I'm going to get a little more diligent I'm going to be a little more serious about this and it's not going to happen to me again or whatever and oftentimes it does happen again so that the Lord can just further break us of ourselves and he's calling us, you know what? You began your relationship with me by grace. Mm-hmm. So go, come back to the place of right. grace. And we know that the place of grace is uh, the cross. And so, at least grace for us, um, judgment on the Lord on our behalf. But by grace we are saved by faith. And by grace we continue uh, in our faith. Um, in the book of Revelation, mm-hmm. message to the church in mm-hmm. Ephesus was, what, Judy? Return to your first, first love. love. Return to that first yeah. love. Yeah, and I was it, just thinking that when you were talking. Were you thinking? About, yeah, that was. I was gonna say like that reminds me of that. One of the pastors that we keep going. What? 
Did one of the pastors of the pastors' conference mm -hmm. speak from that as well? Yeah, that's Sandy. I wasn't there. That's Sandy. No, I'm I forgot. Sandy. I know. Mark wasn't there either. Um, you yeah. can listen to it, the <laughs> app. Yeah. It was just something I thought of when you were saying it. Yeah. yeah, I said more backsliding because in the next verse, not only did they go to Shechem, but then they had other gods they were yeah. before them. Yeah. You know what I mean? In Revelation 2, the message to the church at Ephesus, it, it says, maybe not these exact words, but remember, repent, and return. Uh, and uh, that's what we are to do. You know, we're called to remind ourselves of where we have fallen from, uh, repent of our sin, as we see in the next verse, he does. And, and you can really follow the pattern and then return to that place. Um, so, you know, I'm looking at a book right now. Actually, that's what I was doing in there when you told me I was antisocial. <laughs> I was reading something. Uh, but we're looking for you. I, I, well, one guy came in <laughs> and said, where are you? But anyhow, um, the, the book has to do with what do you do with a minister that has um, fallen in the ministry, sin-wise? Um, and is there a, a means of restoration? And if so, what does that look like or whatever? Uh, and um, I think it's different for the person that is in ministry and for the believer. And, and certainly we know the person in ministry is a believer, but I think there are different, uh, perhaps, responses to it. But I will say this, for the Christian, sometimes we feel, you know what, I've blown it, and I will forever be a second-class Christian for the rest of my life. life. Uh, and we settle in, if you will, to that failure. And I don't believe the Lord would have us settle into that failure. I, I think there can be restoration of relationship with Him and with others. There may be consequences for our behavior. Um, like, for instance, we might lose a marriage or something like that. Um, but we don't have to settle into our fa failure. If the Lord is gracious and merciful. Mm -hmm. so, well, and along the lines of you said, now I'm going to buckle down, I'm going to do better. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I first got saved, I remember somebody talking about we have. You know, the Catholics have their penance, but we have our version, too. You know, we're going to find something to do to try to make up for what we did wrong. Yeah. Um, and, again, not even focusing on, on, on like, okay, I'm going to work harder not to do that. It's like, oh, no, okay, now I've got to do something good. Sure. As opposed to, again, going back to just grace. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Uh, and it's sweet. You know, Chuck Smith write, writes about that a lot, um, and particularly he wrote about it in... Uh, the book Why Grace Changes Everything, um, because for so long in, in Chuck's walk as a Christian, uh, came out of the uh, four-square gospel movement, um, and also for so long in his ministry as a pastor, um, though he believed in grace, certainly, but he didn't really walk in that grace. Not that he wasn't gracious to others, but he didn't walk in the grace that God had for him, and it was constantly about works and constantly about doing. Um, and performing and so on um, or making up for the sin and, and all that kind of stuff so there's no joy in that there's no joy in that at all if you haven't read the book I, I strongly recommend you read it it's a great great book it's easy to read too Chuck's stuff is it's real easy to read alright chapter or excuse me verse 2 it says so Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments this doesn't necessarily imply that Jacob had foreign gods, but certainly there were foreign gods in his house. Um, in kids, a certain saddlebag. His kids' bedrooms, right? <laughs> that, that's a good point. His, you recall that his yeah. wife stole the gods yeah. of her dad, 
and then you know she hit him in the ground and she sat on him so that her dad couldn't find him and so on um, and her kids picked up on that and they themselves had their foreign gods and so Jacob now calls out his family did he know they had them perhaps did he think well you know, whatever it's just cute it's just a horoscope thing no big deal or something like that and, and just sort of look past it um, but now he says you know what I can't look past it um, perhaps uh, did the Lord reveal to him? Maybe. Uh, we don't know exactly. But I think this is an important point. Jacob has just come off of a period of failure. And despite that, speaks truth into the lives of, lives of his kids. And, and, you know, and sometimes I think as, as parents or uh, people of influence in other people's lives, we might think, well, who am I to tell anybody else how to walk with God? I can't even walk with God whatever and so you know we think that we we've disqualified ourselves or whatever it may right. be from spiritual leadership but he doesn't let past failure keep him from leading in the future spiritually and that's a significant thing and it's going to make a big difference on his family you wonder if, i'm wondering also because it said they had many female male and female servants too so maybe he had let them maintain their own mm. religious beliefs even though he had bought them or whatever and now he's basically saying, nope, the entire household yeah. has got to my house. get on board. You're yeah. under my roof. Yeah, that's a great point. All right, verse 3. Um, he says, then let us arise and go up to Bethel, so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. Interesting, Bethel is actually south of uh, where they're at. Um, but maybe it's like Jerusalem where you're going higher up. Um, and so, like, Everybody goes up to Jerusalem because it's elevated and so on. So maybe it's something like that. Um, yeah, yeah. So go back to Bethel. Again, Bethel is where he should have been all along. Uh, and yet we, we've been looking at Shechem um, as if it were sort of a, a worldly decision and that that worldliness had come back to bite him. You know, thought, I can handle this. I'll be okay. My family will be okay uh, or whatever. But it, it hurt in so many ways. And Donald Gray Barnhouse, uh, was he down at 10th Presbyterian? Yeah, uh, down in Philly. Uh, he's dead now, but nonetheless. Uh, he said this, the only cure for worldliness is to separate from worldliness. And I think that's a good truth. Um, you know, and sometimes I think we think, well, I'll be a little more committed. Again, I'll try a little harder. Um, I won't give in this next time to it. But the reality is we need to separate ourselves from it. Now, we can't separate ourselves from the world. But we certainly can separate ourselves from worldliness uh, and ha letting it have a grip of us. Uh, and that, that's what Barnhouse is suggesting there. And so in so many ways, that's what he does. He goes uh, to Bethel. Um, notice he says, So that I may make an altar there to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So he looks back on his life and he sees the clear hand of God on him each step of the way. Now, he says, wherever I have gone. Now that's, that's kind of interesting because if you look at his life, it may not, and I'm sure it didn't to him, seem like God was with him every step of the way. He's got family strife. He's got late Uncle Laban cheating him and ripping him off multiple times. Um, his kids do this junk where they're killing a whole bunch of people. His daughter's being raped. Um, an entire city is coming after him, he feels like, and all that. So I'm sure there are many times he didn't feel like God was with him every step of the way. 
but we know that that's the truth. And there are times we don't necessarily understand what God is doing, and it's in those times we have to trust the God that we do know. God is sovereign. God is loving. God is good. God's will will be accomplished uh, in our lives, and and so on and so forth. So he testifies to that truth there. Um, is he quoting God's words back to him that he gave him when he was at Bethel? Because didn't God say, wherever you go, I will be with you? Uh, I have those words somewhere that... Bethel, he said, verse chapter 28, verse 13, he says, Behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I'm the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west, east, north, and south, and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised for you. So, yeah, you're right. That's a good... Uh, Good catch. All right, verse four. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that he had, they had, uh, and the rings that were in their ears. So somehow that's connected um, to the idolatry. And Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. Now, we could, yeah. <laughs> um, so Jacob's family here, to some degree because uh, we don't know exactly what's going on in their hearts, but they get right with the Lord um, after observing either that their dad got right with the Lord, that motivated them to, or their dad stepped up and said, you know what, and these aren't kids, by the way. Remember, these are adults um, mm -hmm. here. Uh, but they, I think, you know, they're observing their dad get right with the Lord, and they're taking steps to get right with the Lord. And, you know, the father, the husband, mom, even um, wife, uh, has a significant influence on their children. And our kids are observing. Uh, what's your name? Baron? Baron, you were sitting there last week, I think. And, Good and you said, uh, you said, more is caught than taught. You know, and uh, we saw earlier their mom had household idols and uh, they caught that. And so they had household idols. And I think our kids are observing us, they're seeing our inconsistencies people are observing us and seeing that um, and if our teaching and our practices don't agree more often than not they'll go toward our practices uh, and pick those things up and so um, you know it's important that we're living lives that are and then when we do fail we teach them what it means to confess that as sin um, but we don't live we can't live in a life of failure and think it's not going to rub off on our kids um, so well, he hid him under a terebinth tree that was near Shechem. Um, I like that. You like, like they left, put all that stuff and just left it there and, where it belonged. So, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Towards God, you know. Okay, well, now I read it initially, and I thought, is he burying them so if he wants to go back and get them later, he knows where they are? Um, but that word hid can be um, used in different ways. And so... If I were to say, you know, he gave those things a burial, that would sound like he put them to death, right? You know, so it doesn't necessarily mean that he's planning on going back and digging them up at another time or something. Um, I kind of read that as he hid them so that his household would go back and try to find them. Okay. Um, so that's positive, too. Yeah, it's it seems very positive here what he's doing. Um, it doesn't seem like he's trying to... You know, I think I shared a story of a, a friend of mine who um, 
kept his little black book of all his girlfriend's phone numbers after he got married, just in case it didn't work <laughs> out in his marriage. Um, that's not good, you know. And yeah, so the the root meaning of that hit is there's there's like held in reserve, hidden. But then also one says laying secretly, secretly laid. So maybe he was putting him away so nobody else would be able to find him. Yeah. Oh, did he say that? That's what he said. Okay. Yeah. Um, yes, ma'am. My interpretation from this study Bible says idols buried out of sight, plus bathing and changing to clean clothes, all serve to portray both cleansing from defilement by idolatry and consecrating the heart to the Lord. So it doesn't seem like they're going back to get it later. No, it does not. That's not inten- that their intention at that moment. Right. Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> All right. Chris pointed out putting it in Shechem in that, like, here, you keep that. You keep your junk. Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. All right, verse 5. And as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them so that they did not pursue uh, the sons of Jacob. So remember, uh, and somebody worded it this way, and I was like, oh, yeah, I guess that is what they were. Jacob's two sons were mass murderers, mm-hmm. you know, mass murderers. Um, and as it said earlier, indeed, they had become a stench to the inhabitants of the land uh, for good reason. Yeah. Now, look, I, I think something should have happened to, what was the guy's name? It was Shechem, right? Isn't that the kid's name? Um, and uh, I think something should have happened to him. And we, we looked at some passages of Scripture of what would have been a, an equitable punishment or whatever it may be. Um, it wasn't that the entire city of men be killed. Uh, and so, uh, you know, these, these aren't like... They used a nuke where it could have been a mousetrap. <clears throat> right, right. <laughs> and despite the fact that these guys are... Uh, hotheads, I guess, that's what he calls them essentially in, in chapter 49. Um, God preserves them in, in, anyway. And he looks out for them, he protects them, he puts a fear in the hearts of those around them so that they can make their way uh, to the next place. And and God is merciful uh, and gracious and, and Jacob's family doesn't deserve this kindness, but he shows it to him nonetheless. Why? Got a plan. Because he has a plan, yeah. Ultimately, <laughs> to keep his covenant. And ultimately, God's reputation, if you will, is at stake because yeah. he has a covenant with Jacob's family and his offspring. Um, the that keeps passing it. The, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. That's the word. This is kind of a foreshadowing, too, of what happens when the Israelites come back from Exodus. Because it says when after they crossed in Jericho fell, it said fear seized all the surrounding cities and they were... Actually, they were afraid. That's where they locked up Jericho. That's right. So even before they crossed, the word about them leaving Egypt had gone out and... Hmm. Yeah. All right, let's go on. Verse 6. And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, same place uh, name was changed, which is in the land of Canaan. He and all the people who were with him and there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel. All right, so he the, the city was already renamed Bethel. Now he's, if you will, renaming it El Bethel. And it goes on and says, because there God <coughs> had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. So 
We said earlier, Bethel means the house of God. El Bethel would be God of the house of God. Uh, And I think that's significant because what makes Bethel important is the God of Bethel um, that he encounters, you know. And and so often, you know, people will think that a church uh, building, for instance, is important, but it's not. It's the God of that church building. Or maybe in our Protestant tradition, we might think that uh, a retreat place that we went to and some special event happened or whatever. And so then, you know, we maybe we start straying in our walk with the Lord or we feel far from the Lord. And so we want to journey back to that retreat place so we can find God again or whatever. Well, God, he's not really at the retreat place. He's right where you are. You know what I mean? The problem's in your heart. It's not in your physical location uh, and so on. Although that seems to be contradicting what the story is here today, but you get the point. Well, it's different. It's a different. It's a different covenant, right? Yes. Old Testament versus New Testament. Yeah, I agree. So, Jacob's learning what's what is important. It's not the place, but it's the God of the place. Um, so, file that away. Verse eight. Now Deborah, or Anne Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, died, and she was buried under an oak below Bethel. So he called its name Alan Bakuth, or something like that. Um, now, I get so confused with who's married to whom here, and Re- Re- Rebecca and Rachel. So I'll remind you, because of the R's. Uh, Jacob is married, um, among other people, to Rachel. His dad, Isaac, was married to Rebecca. So Rebecca is his mom. Um, so we haven't talked about her in a while, uh, chapters, probably 10, uh, and yet she's kind of, her name is thrown in here, and that's because this lady, Deborah, Rebecca's former nurse, uh, because Rebecca has died, um, Deborah now dies as well, and uh, notice it says she's buried under an oak uh, below Bethel. Um, we don't know much about this lady, Deborah. There's another lady in the Bible named Deborah. This is not her. I was going to ask, is that the Deborah that is the prophet? Okay. No, no, this is, the, this is somebody else. Um, as I said, she was Rebecca's nurse. That would be like her handmaid, her personal servant. Uh, you remember when uh, Rachel, uh, well, Leah and Rachel each were given a handmaid, Bilha and Zilpah, mm-hmm. um, it was sort of a gift of the father, you know, she'll go with you now and, and care for your kids and help you and, and so on and so forth. Forth. So Rebecca's nurse, this lady Deborah, would have cared for, more than likely, Jacob and Esau when they were kids. And so it seems perhaps, we don't really know, but maybe when Rebecca died that Deborah got connected uh, with uh, Jacob somehow early on or when they came back to this area of the land that they sort of reunited or maybe it was just simply when they made their way back to Bethel it's coincidentally quote unquote she dies and Jacob's broken over it because that was the lady that had me on her knee you maybe know what I mean? she came back with Esau when they went to meet yeah and hung out with yeah so there's a lot of possibilities but either way this is the person that was dear to Jacob and she dies. Notice this little name there that I'm trying to say the best I can. Elan, what would you say it is? Okay, good. Um, well, that's right, but good. <laughs> thank you. It means oak of weeping. You know, so this is a servant. You think of it, this is an employee of the family. And yet there's a, a weeping over the loss of her. So she was someone that was very, very uh, dear to the family. Um, 
and they bury her. Verse 9, now God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padan Aram and blessed him. So Padan Aram, again, is all the way back when he was with Laban. And so we know that he's been back in the promised land and he's been in a number of cities already. Um, but ultimately, God is thinking of that long journey as one journey. Okay, so uh, it says God appeared to him again now that he's been back and he's blessed him. Um, and again, it's when he has returned to Bethel that the Lord appears to him uh, once more. Is this a theophany since it's just like Padanaram when he blessed him? Uh, well, like meaning is is he physically yeah. seeing? I believe he is because in one of the verses that comes up here, it says, and the Lord went up from him. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. it, it seems as if it actually is, yeah. Um, but we talked about Revelation 2. Uh, Jacob remembered, and that is he went back to Bethel. He repented, he got rid of his household gods, and then he returned. And he went back to that place, and he built an altar, uh, as he had done previously. And God has responded to that. He comes and he appears to him. So verse 10 says, Now God said to him, Your name is Jacob. No longer shall you be, your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. And so he called his name Israel. We've, we've looked at this um, There will be other times in the book of Genesis where he will be referred to as Jacob. Um, We've had some guys look into it as to whether, was he called Jacob when he's stumbling in Israel when things are going great? There's no real pattern. Um, So do with that. Maybe I have a feeling there's something there, but no one has seen it in 2,000 years. So um, hopefully someone can dig and find it. But uh, remember, Jacob means essentially deceiver. Israel means a prince of God or governed by God. Uh, and so, big difference in those particular two. Um, but these were the encounter, encounters that Jacob had previously had. In chapter 28, uh, I've likened that to his salvation experience, where God called him to himself, established the covenant with him, as opposed to his dad, Isaac. Um, Genesis chapter 32, the Lord appeared to him there. Um, I've likened that to a sanctification experience. That's where God wounded him, touched his hip, so that he was forever changed, um, went limping away. Um, it's in Genesis 32 where God changes his name and says, you're not going to be Jacob anymore, you're going to be Israel. Um, notice what it says in, in there. He says, your name should no longer be called... Oh, you don't have this. Verse 32, chapter 32 says this. Then he said, let me go. This is when God and Jacob are wrestling. Um, God said, let me go for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Um, got him in like a headlock or something. I'm just kidding. And he said to him, well, what's your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name should no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Um, now, I, I imagine, who taught that, you? So I'm sure we dug into that a little bit. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, Go ahead. I'm sure you got some nice icing. For this. Maybe so. Uh, if you weren't here for that study, this gives the impression that Jacob is beating God. Uh, and he's like, well, I'm not letting you go until you say uncle or something like that. Um, the reality is we know, what's uh, Hosea? Where do we know it? Yeah, that, yeah that, I don't remember the exact verse. But. The, one of the minor prophets, I forget which one, um, basically tells us that Jacob is petitioning God with tears here. That he's not winning and saying, God, you have to say uncle, but he's actually losing and clinging onto his foot or something, uh, if you want to think of it that way. So the Lord says to him, what's your name? Now, he knows his name. He knows all these things. But he has, if you will, Jacob articulate, well, I'm, I'm a conniver. 
you know, what's your name? Heel catcher, deceiver, supplanter uh, is my name. And then the Lord says, you know, that is your name. And he says, you've prevailed, you've striven with God and with men and you have prevailed. You've prevailed in your deception against all these men, but you're not going to live that life anymore. You're going to be a new man. And the new man that he calls him, he says his name uh, is Israel. Did we get that about right? Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Um, yeah, I know it's very cool because that's what God has done in our lives. Mm-hmm. Now, it's important from chapter 32 to chapter 35, that statement about him that you're going to be Israel and everything's going to be changed isn't the 24-7 reality, right. you know? And that's not our reality either. But God does bring us to that place where he, he sort of breaks us and he wounds us and he changes us. And when God says that statement, like that he, he might say to you and I, he's going to fulfill that. He's going to do that work in our lives over a period of time. And hopefully it's as easy as today we're going to work on this and you're going to be changed today by listening to me. Hopefully it's that easy. Like, you know, with your kids, don't put your hand on the fire or whatever. Hopefully your kids say, Dad said not to do it, I won't do it. Sadly, oftentimes we do it, and then we learn the lesson, and we come around to God's thinking. And so God's going to get us around to his thinking at one point or another. But here now in our passage, God reminds Jacob of the Genesis 32 experience. Um, not only that, so in... Uh, that's in verse 10, where he says, your name is Jacob. He's reminding him of the Genesis 32 experience. Uh, if you look at verse 11, he's reminding him of the Genesis 28 experience, because he's reminding him of the transference of the covenant from Abraham to Isaac, now down to him. So in verse 11, it says, God said to him, I'm God Almighty, be fruitful, multiply a nation, and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I'm going to give to you, and I'll give the land to your offspring after you. That's a portion of the Abrahamic covenant. Now, again, consider that. There, here's a guy. He has 11 sons at this time. You know, he's in a foreign land, even though God keeps telling him it's his land. He's in a foreign land, and God is saying, not just one guy, one king, but kings are going to come from your offspring. You know, this is quite a statement that the Lord is making uh, to hear. But there's statements that God is reminding him. And see, I think that's significant because, yeah, Jacob has had his stumbles, but Jacob doesn't need to learn something new about God at all. You know, I think sometimes in our walk, we, we get dry, we get stale, and I just want some new experience with God. I want to learn some new mystery or some new thing that could just jazz me up again. And, uh, and we see it. I see it with a lot of young people in the faith, you know, 20-year-olds, um, high school, college-age kids, and they want everything that God has for them. And they want that next experience. They want to feel the goosebumps when they come out of that. Um, sadly, they want to feel the video game experience. I, I don't. I, I guess or something. But you know, it, this idea of you know, just go back and rest in the the ancient truths, as it's called in the scripture. This is exciting and enough that. on its yeah, own. It, yeah. it should be. <laughs> yeah. Every time I, you read it, you get something else. Like, you know. It's the difference between eating junk food and eating a nutritious meal that tastes great rather than something that just tastes great and it's just it's good yeah. for you yeah and it, it yeah. opens your it opens people up to a lot of Pharisees yeah. and yeah. you know yeah. or I remember I was in Illinois at the time remember the whole Brownsville revival sure you know barking all that stuff I do I remember 
people from our church. I was going to a more charismatic church at the time. A little bit too much. Um, but they were, I was. I remember we, there was a group of us that was praying that the people that went to that place and came back wouldn't bring it with them. Don't bring the blessing back. Cause yeah. We don't want we don't it. Want yeah. it. Yeah. Like that's, that's it, right? That place was over-swamped because apparently God was doing something down there. Now, did I think God saved people or touched people? Probably. But, again, like you said, Despite it, you yeah. don't have to go somewhere to have revival and then bring it back where you were. Mm. You know, it's kind of a weird right where you are. thinking. Yeah. It's a wrong thinking about how revival works, too, yeah. I think. But. Yes, I think you're right. I was recently listening to a teaching. Um, I won't say who the teacher was, but he's a pretty... <coughs> John MacArthur. <coughs> he's a pretty reliable teacher, and he was talking about, um, you know, these dramas. Like, they do these dramas at churches, and there's all this entertainment, and, you know, like skits and shows and all this stuff. That, and... He stands at a pulpit and talks about this, like you do. Like, this is what we're there for. We're not there for a show. We're not, I mean, worship is not a show. Worship is to bring us into the presence of the Lord. And, um, and I do think that sometimes people shop around for churches that give them that emotional experience. And if I'm not getting that, like, you know, that that same brain chemistry that I get from the dinging of the video games and the gaming and the gambling and all that, there it's there's a crossover and it's it's scary to me because it's starting to blend into the church and we were we have been told that that is going to happen so it shouldn't be a surprise. Yeah. Um, but what I, I what I find that's interesting is Israel has um, I always say like sometimes blessings aren't pretty you know and I, I just think it's so cool that Israel comes away with a limp but this huge blessing you know <clears throat> we, we yeah. look at blessings as being like oh it has to be something wonderful and right. fabulous and makes me happy and makes me feel good and he clung to him and left that experience feeling blessed, even though he was walking differently. Yeah. Literally walking differently. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a good point. Well, I appreciate, too, listening to the the pastor's conference recordings. You know, Rob Pletty was up there, and they were talking about worship. And if, I don't know if this is something that's happening in Calvary's that has sort of triggered this discussion, but the discussion was, yeah, we're not up there to entertain you. Right. And... You, you should be able to hear yourself sing and the people around you. It shouldn't be so loud yeah. that yeah. You're, you're not the people that are worshiping. It's the worship team that's yeah. worshiping. And, yeah. You know, I appreciate, I appreciate that attitude a lot. But yeah, me too. They must have been saying it in response to, you know, maybe something that's Could happening. you hear the questions or not? I guess not. Some, it, it sort of came up like, oh, yeah, I, I recognize that. We just want to emphasize that. Yeah. Somebody said they appreciated hearing all the men singing. Mm. Yeah. And they said, "Yes, yeah, I really appreciate that. Appreciate that." And there must have been some history behind, like the discussion that that went Probably on. Probably so. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, one thing uh, Pastor Joe said in that Q and A that really stuck out to me or stood out to me was when he said, "You know, a lot of times people leave worship mm. and say, I was really moved by today's yeah. worship.'" Yeah. And he said, "That's not our goal." He said, "What we want to hear is." The Father saying to the Son, and the Son saying to the Holy Spirit, I was really moved by today's worship. You know, we want to move God. We don't want ourselves, you know. And that's what oftentimes happens, is we go looking for 
you know, worship wasn't very good today. I didn't, you know, and so on. So I didn't feel it. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then Jeremy pointed out how he, you know, when his wife, first wife died, how, uh, you know, the Lord said, I want you because he was crying on the ground. He was, and he said, I want you to stand up and I want, I want you to worship me now. And I don't feel like worshiping. He said, I want you to do it anyway. And that he did. And in doing that, sort of the Lord entered into that time of worship in a way that he never had experienced before, you know, so. Yeah, I mean, if there is to be an experience, quote, it should be tear-filled. Not in a legalistic way, but I think, like, it's not, like you said, it's not about getting goosebumps, but, you know, an attitude of repentance, an attitude of, you know, just allowing yourself to be completely open to the Lord as you worship like a hard experience yeah yeah certainly it doesn't have to be some show or no not at all I, I don't know if I would say it has to be tear filled I, I mean I, I think you're and I'm not in the holy laughter but I think your heart can be over like enlarged oh yeah yeah, yeah. Enjoy yeah you could be yeah. yeah it could be whatever yeah. but I mean it, uh, when it is whatever that is it needs to be an expression of whatever that is in yeah. the moment but it is worshiping the Lord right. in whatever condition you're in, right. in that moment. Yep. Because worship is a verb. It is. <laughs> yeah. right. You have not said Jesus. And it's worth, it's describing, <laughs> it's yes. describing yes. worth, not mm. getting yes. something. Right. Mm. Yeah. Good. All right, we all agree. All right, verse 13. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him, and Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on that stone and poured oil on it as well. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him uh, Bethel. So uh, he has an offering. Notice there's a pillar of stone, there's a drink offering, and then there's, if you will, an oil offering or pouring out of uh, the oil. Pillar of stone... I think uh, we might look at this and say, you know, that reminds me of the chief cornerstone, uh, which we know is the Lord Jesus. Um, this drink offering, we see lots of examples of drink offerings in the Bible. Um, Exodus 29, Leviticus 23, Numbers 15, uh, all give us direction on drink offering, or at least gave the Jewish people directions on drink offering. You can look at, for instance, David, when his men bring him a uh, drink of water from Bethlehem because he, he just happened to say off if I could only have a cold water a sip of cold water from the wells of Bethlehem I'd be good to go right now so they broke into Bethlehem got him a cup of water and the woman at the well. and so he pours it out what about that the woman, I mean that was uh, an issue of asking for a drink okay there's like a drink of water there is like an interaction that you know um, when What's his face with, that was looking for the wife, and she she gave all the camels uh-huh. water. Jake. All these experiences Isaac. were all yeah. covenant types of experience. Huh. Although that? covenant, to me, well, I have my own thing about covenant, but okay. um, but yeah, drinking water, okay, living water. Well, the the drink offerings that the instruction of the drink offering had to do with pouring out wine. Uh, in those three places. I was given the example of the way that uh, David poured out the water as an offering. Paul talks about himself mm-hmm. being poured out uh, as an offering in, in Philippians 2 and in Second Timothy 4. He said those as well. Jesus, uh, in the Passover meal, the Last Supper meal, 
he uh, ligands the wine uh, to his blood that would be poured out, if you will, as an offering. So you have this stone, this pillar of stone, which you, you could say perhaps represents Christ, the chief cornerstone. Uh, then you have the drink offering, which is the wine being poured out. Jesus likens the wine to his blood, and that reminds us of the sacrifice on the cross. And then again and again in the scripture, oil uh, is oftentimes used to represent uh, the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, and so uh, you have the, the cross, you have the gift of the Holy Spirit in our lives and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And it, it just seems all of this is taking place right there, uh, perhaps in the thinking of Jacob's offering that he is bringing. Uh, and I, I just find it uh, significant, interesting. Um, Were you saying the cross, the drink offering representing the covering of sins? Mm-hmm. And then the oil representing the gift of the Holy Spirit. Yes, that's okay. what I'm saying. You know, so the the life of the Christian, if you want to think of it. All oh, right. It says poured out, never drunk, and maybe considered a type of Christ in the sense of Psalm 22:14, Isaiah 53:12. Hmm. Yeah. Cool. It's a good Bible you got there. There you go. <laughs> All right. So that's the offering. What do you think, friends? You want to try to finish this chapter? Let's do it. All right, verse 16. Then they journeyed from Bethel. Uh, When they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel went into labor, and she had hard labor. And when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, Do not fear, for you have another son. And as her soul was departing, for she was dying, she called his name Ben-Onai, but his father called him Benjamin. So Rachel died, and she was buried on the way to Ephrath. That is Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar over her tomb. It is the pillar of Rachel's tomb, which is there to this day. Israel journeyed on, and he pitched his tent beyond the tower uh, of Eder. So it says they journeyed from Bethel. I jotted down, why? You were trying to get to Bethel, you know, and stay there. Um, The text doesn't say why he went, uh, left there. Um, Was it a mistake for him to leave, perhaps? Um, Well, you hadn't seen his dad yet. Okay. Just saying. Okay, as a matter of fact, um, I'm going to go back to that. In Genesis 35, he's told to go to Bethel and dwell there. And the word again means to make your abode there. Now, can he go on vacation? Uh, Can they go visit dad? Maybe that's exactly what he's doing. Verse 27, which I didn't read, but verse 27 tells us that uh, he's going to journey on to see his dad and that his dad is in Hebron. And so... Maybe it's as simple as that. He's not leaving because he's tired of Bethel and the place where he <laughs> meets with the Lord or whatever. But um, if you look at a map, you have Shechem in the north, then Bethel, then a little further south, Bethlehem and Ephrath, and then a little further south than that, Hebron. So perhaps he's moving down in that particular direction. So maybe that is exactly what is going on. But we don't really know. But he leaves Bethel. It says when he's still some distance from Ephrath, Ephrath is kind of a suburb of Bethlehem, um, and it's about 20 miles away from Bethel. Uh, and so he, he's kind of out in the middle of this long journey there, and Rachel uh, goes into labor. Verse 16 tells us that her labor uh, is very difficult. And then as we read in verse 17, and when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, do not fear. For you have another son. Um, And uh, remember how important that was back in chapter 29 and 30 when um, her and Leah are fighting over who's going to be able to give birth to sons. Um, Yeah, and all that stuff. Um, 
none of that competition and strife seems to be present in this birth, um, however. Uh, and so she's, anyway, just tuck that away. So she's uh, giving birth to the son. It, it makes me think, because it says, when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, you have a son. And it doesn't say, and when her labor was finished, the midwife said, hey, you had a boy. And so it makes me think that perhaps it was a breech birth mm. and that, you know, the the genitalia came out so she could tell, hey, you have a boy. How exciting. Um, but breech birth, even today, is dangerous. Um, could you imagine then as you're lying on the side of a field? Um, and so verse 18, as her soul was departing, for she was dying, she called his name Ben-Onai. Uh, now that word means, or that name means, son of my sorrow. Um, and what previously, remember back, as I said earlier, Genesis twenty nine thirty, what previously brought great joy, um, I had a boy, I, I produced a boy for my husband. Um, now, uh, she says, brings great sorrow. Um, and in some respects, you could say that Rachel technically won that big game they were playing because she was the last one to produce a boy for uh, for Jacob. And yet, none of that matters at all anymore. Um, and, you know, it's, it's interesting how death can put everything into perspective, you know, and the things that we fight over and, and all these things that we worry about and debate over, you know, puts it all into perspective. It was interesting watching my mom die. She could care less who was going to be president. It didn't matter at all to her um, when that stuff came on the news and everyone was like, can you believe this guy or that lady or, or that fella? And all that it didn't matter at all to her because everything's brought into perspective. Um, but anyway, um, I'm not saying it shouldn't matter. It's important stuff, but it doesn't really matter. But um, didn't we say that when she was back and she was worried, she said, give me a son lest I die. Yeah. So it was sort of sad that it yeah. foreshadowed. Yep. Yeah. I read that and I was like, Oh, that feels so harsh to say that. Hearing it from you, it sounds reasonable or whatever. But Laban came looking for his idols. What's that? When Laban came looking for his idols, and Isaac said, well, "I don't have those idols." And if somebody does have them, oh, Jacob said that. Jacob, yeah, right? That Jacob. Let that one die. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right. So that's oh boy. Well, uh, you know, Ben and I, son of my sorrow, um, come here a little grief, you know, whatever, like terrible name. So Ben, so Israel wisely says, no, we're not going to call him that. We're going to call him Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. Um, in that day, even in our day, really, most people uh, were right-handed. The right hand was considered the um, hand that was associated with strength and honor. Even most people, you're more dominant hand. You tend to be stronger with that particular hand. You could not be left-handed. See that? Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And in a lot of cultures, um, you know, the left hand is designed to do like all the dirty work, so to speak. Yeah. And so, you know, you, you would never extend your left hand to shake someone's hand or something. You know, sometimes you gotta, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, sometimes you have like a bunch of books in your hand or whatever, so you just reach out your left hand. You don't do that. Mm -hmm. You know, so anyway, this idea of son of my right hand is strength and honor uh, and privilege uh, and so on. Now, I think there's a foreshadowing here of the work of Christ because she would call him, she being uh, the mom, Rachel, the, the son of sorrow. Uh, 
I'll say it this way, the son of sorrow acquainted with grief. Mm -hmm. And he would say, no, this is the son of the right hand, uh, right hand of the father, and so on. And so perhaps there's, you know, seeing this work of Christ here, a foreshadowing of it. Isaiah 53 refers to Jesus as a man acquainted with uh, sorrows and grief. And then uh, a number of places in the New Testament talks about Jesus being seated at the right hand of the Father. Um, and so uh, do with that as you will. Uh, verse 19, uh, so Rachel died and she was buried on the way to Ephrath, which is Bethlehem. Again, even today or in other places in the Bible, you'll see things like Bethlehem Ephrata. Um, it's like a suburb there um, of it. Verse 20, Jacob set up a pillar over a tomb. It's Rachel's tomb. Um, which is there to this day. Now, that phrase, there to this day, means at the time of the writing of the Bible. Um, there is, uh, in Israel, the traditional burial site of Rachel. Um, I would bet you a million bucks it's not the right place, uh, because very few of the traditional sites in Israel are accurate. Um, Blame Constantine's mom. Tell me about her, or tell them. So Constantine was the quote-unquote first Christian emperor mm -hmm. and his mother came to the promised land I think after well he was still, he was alive but right and she decided okay this is where Jesus was crucified okay this is the garden of Gethsemane okay yeah. this is Caiaphas's house yeah now, some of those things have been verified but not all of them yeah so um and that's where then as soon as you do you build a cathedral a big catholic church there yeah. Um, so it's really interesting, you know, this is where Jesus was crucified, and yet it's inside the, the walls of old city Jerusalem. And we know that he was crucified just on the outskirts of Jerusalem or whatever. So while all of the, like, traditional study groups or Catholic study groups are flocking to some of those places, you know, you'll, you'll see, like, our group, you know, we're kind of out in some field by ourselves or whatever. <laughs> uh, and it's much more peaceful. Um, so... <laughs> But anyway, and you don't get the you don't get the priest shushing you either. No, I don't like, like that. Bethlehem is terrible. You remember? We're never going again to Bethlehem. <laughs> I remember Greg got the holy slap down. That's right. I did. Holy I got slap. a holy slap. Down. <laughs> yeah, remember you tried to light a remember candle? Remember when you were lighting the candles and that guy came over and? No. Don't you remember that? No. We were waiting in line to go down yeah. into the pit, traumatized, where the where the supposedly nativity was. Yeah. And you apparently were lighting candles that you were supposed to pay to light the candles. Really? And you got. And the yeah. guy came over huh. and took it and gave you a look and walked away. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I can't believe I was trying to light a candle. We were laughing. But you were kind of like, I think you were bored and you were just... <laughs> <laughs> lighting a candle. <laughs> All right. Well, sorry about that. Gee whiz. I remember we tried to sing O Holy Night. time I said to you, I said, I think you just got the holy slap down. And you go, I guess so. Oh, okay. I well, I blocked it. I blocked it. Okay. Um... And then it says that, uh, in that passage, it says uh, Rachel had died. Now, hadn't Jacob, Israel, just gotten right with God? So why is she dying? Because sometimes bad things happen to people, not because they're bad people. And they could be in a perfect place with the Lord and everything was right. Um, you know, I heard someone say today that Christians aren't immune from whatever tragedy or difficulties or whatever the phrase that he used was you know and that's the reality and sometimes it's painted that way though you know if you had just been in the right place you know then everything would have been okay um here's what it was a relationship with god doesn't make us immune to the difficulties and challenges of life and and that's certainly true so i think if we think it does 
then we're broadsided. You know, it, it's like somebody puts like a bag over your head and punches you, you know, and you have no way of knowing it's coming and you're not ready for it and it rocks well, you. you think every time you have a problem that God doesn't love you. Yeah. Well, because we weren't exempted from the curse of the fall in the sense of physical right, death. We live in a fallen world. We weren't so exempted that. from the curse that was given to Adam that by the sweat of your brow, mm -hmm. you will make your meat. Yeah. You know, so those things weren't taken away by Christ, but the yeah. spiritual ones were. Right. Yeah, you're right. All right, 21. Israel journeyed on and pitched his tent beyond the tower of uh, Eder or Eder. Some versions say Migdal Eder. Mm -hmm. um, it, it was a shepherd's watchtower yes. near Bethlehem. Yeah. And so it seems as if it's out in the fields between, remember, Bethlehem, kind of like a city, village maybe is a better term, and sort of the suburb there. It's this tower in between. So just giving us a point of reference. Verse 22, now while Israel lived in the land, Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine. And Israel heard of it. Um, you know what? Why don't we He's stop? The first one, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're going to stop at verse 22. And then, because we got a lot, we'll pick up. Yeah. Okay. So there you have it. Um, that was like a fun discussion, guys. Thanks again for listening to the sermon podcast of Calvary Chapel of Mercer County. If you would like more information about the church, its ministries, its worship services, or its small groups, please visit ccmercer.com or download the church app to your phone.